0: Today, we're going to talk about AI tools for game devs. Hey everyone, how's it going? Hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 72nd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore and tune in for game dev streams now on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Zacavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord. That's probably the best way to follow along with everything. I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and it's intended to be like a 15-minute exercise to help you reinforce the things you learned in the show. Last show, we talked about cheating And how sometimes cheats are actually good and a good way to find, like, really fun and interesting unlockable power-ups and stuff like that. I called them gray area cheats. Episode 71's game dev challenge was to design a gray area unlockable cheat or power-up for an existing game. So, yeah, a lot of interesting ways you could take this. And I think our winner pointed out something, uh... I don't know, very true about a certain genre of game. So, without further ado, the winner of episode 71, Game Dev Challenge, is Sergeant Hombre. The Sergeant says, One of the unlockable cheats I would like to see more in survival games is creating a way to carry more. In a survival game, I prefer to just go and explore and gather resources more than building a camp or a full house. So whenever I play, my inventory gets full really fast. Whenever my inventory gets full, it means that I have to either turn around or get rid of something that I find valuable. I would create a recipe for something that would give me extra inventory space for a specific period of time. The recipe wouldn't be documented anywhere, but maybe vaguely referenced by someone in a village or a town. The villager would just reference about a long journey needed to use these foods with them, but not giving the exact amount that is needed. So you'd have to play around with it with cooking it. Once the meal is eaten, you'd get a 1.25 times to the amount the player that you can carry. I think what happened here, and this is like kind of what I was getting at with the cheat stuff in the last episode, is that sometimes uh, thinking about cheats and why players cheat uh, leads to designing just straight-up features for your game, and I think that's what has happened here. You got to think that at some point, maybe... Someone was saying, you know, it'd be a good cheat for this game if I could move faster. And nowadays, pretty much every game has a sprint button, right? It's funny how often cheats are almost closely aligned with just good gameplay and features. And there's like an indistinguishable line or a gray area between those two things. And I guess that's why I called them gray area cheats. And yeah, I think uh, Sergeant Ombre is right about this in survival games. Like, one of the most annoying things is uh, having to collect a ton of resources to, I don't know, make a house or something. And having to go back and forth, back and forth. And if I have, like, a custom server in a survival game or something, I'm turning up the (laughs) carry weight of the players just to limit this. This isn't actually that fun of gameplay. It's sort of tedious. And so we can think about how would a player cheat at this game? Well, one of the first things they would do is give themselves more inventory space. And then we can say, wait a second, we can make that a game feature. So I think uh, Sergeant Ombre's post in real time showed you exactly where I was going with the gray area unlockable cheats. So congrats to Sergeant Ombre for winning the Episode 71 Game Dev Challenge. For this episode's Game Dev Challenge, Episode 72 going to be a very simple one, but one that can go in a lot of directions. The challenge for episode 72 is to show off your use cases and work for AI tools. I'm going to mention a couple AI tools that are free that you could start today using to make things for your games, but I want to know what other things you've discovered or the methods that you're using for these kinds of tools. Essentially, I just want to see... Uh, All the different ways that everybody in our community uses AI tools, or maybe you haven't yet, uh, but after today's episode, you start and you learn some kind of method. This will be a good challenge to show off what you've learned, and yeah, there should be some pretty exciting and interesting stuff to see. So if you want to participate in this Game Dev Challenge, all you have to do is go to the community Discord, and um, you can post images and videos and messages and all that stuff uh, in the Game Dev Challenge channel. So, yeah, I guess with the Game Dev Challenge all wrapped up, let's move on over to the body of today's episode. Today's episode has been a hotly requested episode, and actually, everyone has the patrons to thank for voting for it as February's month topic. I'm a little behind, I'm actually one month behind, but I've been catching up a little bit faster and faster. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry to the patrons, but they did pick this episode. And today's episode is on AI tools for game devs. I've gotten the chance to actually put into practice a few different AI tools for both my day job as a professional game designer and as an indie solo dev. It's to the point now where I'm using AI tools as part of my daily game dev toolkit. And I hope after listening to today's episode, uh, you start to consider and use the AI tools in your own workflows. And there's one thing I want you to keep in mind while listening to this. This episode is coming out at the middle of March uh, in 2023. And I always try to make my content evergreen, meaning that you could listen to it in five years from now and most of the info will still be valuable. But I think we're in the very early days of AI tools, so I don't know if I can make that promise for this episode. It seems like there's a new tool or old tool that are getting better like every few weeks now. I think some of it will certainly translate to the future, but when I'm talking about tips for using specific tools, that info might be outdated depending on when you're listening to this. So just keep that in mind. There's one more thing I want to talk about, and I think it's kind of an elephant in the room. Uh, It's to address the AI stuff with the ethics of it. Being as early as we are, there's a lot of legal stuff with the AI that's still being hashed out. It kind of feels like the Wild West as far as the tools are going these days, especially on the image-generating side of things. There's open questions like who owns the art that the AI makes, do the artists get a cut if their art was used in the training data, is this going to take jobs from people, and should we even allow it? As I'm recording this, these are unsettled and controversial questions. And the point of this episode, I guess, is not really to sway you into my opinions on the matter or even state them, but I people ask me all the time, so here's my general stance, I guess, now that I've used the tools enough to really know how they fit into uh, my workflow. I think these tools will initially disrupt, but in the long run, empower creative types of all disciplines. The landscape of how creative things are done is going to change, And I think that will be uncomfortable for pretty much everyone, but it's almost inevitable. And I think in the long run, if you can learn to adapt, I think you'll find yourself with more creative power than you did before, even if this AI is doing exactly what your skill set is. And that empowerment in the long run is actually why I wanted to do today's episode, because I think these tips, uh, well, at least I hope these tips make you leave today and start trying to use the tools and getting comfortable with them. Like I said, it is going to initially disrupt. And I think you'll see why uh, when I talk about my uses for it. But I don't think it's like the end times apocalyptic scenario for, you know, artists or creatives or even game designers. I think these tools will just help us make games more efficiently and allow you to do bigger projects with less people. This podcast lives and dies on the value it provides the audience, and I hope that you look back and see this episode and think to yourself, that's what inspired me to first start using these tools, if you're someone who's maybe on the fence. So, yeah, now that we kind of have a good feel for that, uh, let's just get started. I'm going to break this episode into two parts. Part uh, one is going to be about text generation AI tools, and part two is going to be about image generation tools. And I think I'm going to mention how I'm using them and how I see them getting used currently for game dev, and maybe later I'll mention stuff that's kind of on the horizon or ideas that are untested but are interesting. Let's start with text generation. The AI tool that I use the most for text generation is ChatGPT. Most of my experience with ChatGPT is with the 3.5 version, but 4.0 just came out. I've used it for maybe, I don't know, like half a week, and it's a lot better than 3.5. Unfortunately, I wrote a lot of this episode about 3.5, so yeah. Some of the flaws I'm going to mention, it's already better, and it's been only a month. It's just crazy the pace that this thing is getting developed, but if you don't know what ChatGPT is... It's basically a chatbot, but it's the most advanced chatbot you've ever seen. You can basically talk to it and ask it questions like you would a human, and I've found it to be actually a really good partner to bounce ideas off of. Now one of the ways that you get tricked early, and this happened to me, and I see it happen to others all the time, is it feels like ChatGPT has advanced knowledge, or it's like all-knowing somehow. Sort of like how you put a math problem into a calculator and you don't question the answer, you just know the calculator is right. And if it's not right then you think, oh I made the mistake because I put it in the calculator wrong. ChatGPT though is not like a calculator. It doesn't have perfect knowledge and you can't expect to use it like a word problem calculator. The trick happens though and you think this because ChatGPT speaks like it has perfect knowledge. But if you ask it something that you personally know a lot about, you'll find out that it's just beyond the surface level of knowledge on most things. One of the first things I tried to get it to do is write an episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. Some of you guys know writing the episodes is like the biggest bottleneck and it's my least enjoyable part of the process actually. And I asked it to write a script and the script was written with a great, trendy podcast voice and cadence but the actual content was shallow and sometimes even incorrect. And if you think about it, this actually makes sense uh, based on how the bot was trained. When I say trained, I just mean how the bot learned what it knows. And as I understand it, a lot of the source of that was based on the internet. So before you go taking its word for gospel about how to make a good video game, just know that somewhere in its brain, it learned from r slash dev. I don't mean to slander r slash Uh There are good people on there trying to provide guidance, but man, sometimes I go on there and it's just straight lunacy. Anyways, back to ChatGPT. Not only is it trained on imperfect data, but also so much game development is just partially subjective. It requires emotional interpretation and the ability to feel. If making a good game was a really complex math problem with all perfect answers, then yeah, maybe you could just ask it to come up with the perfect game. But the science of game dev is far from perfect. So the first thing to understand is that ChatGPT is flawed in its knowledge. And even if it wasn't, asking it about game dev could only get you so far because the questions themselves do not have perfect answers. Now, all of that is not to say that ChatGPT isn't useful. It may only know barely deeper than the surface answers on topics, but most of the time that's enough to get the gears moving if you're stuck. It's kind of like that friend who doesn't know as much about your hobby, but when you tell them about a problem you're having, they give like an obvious answer that maybe you overlooked. And their answer is only like 80% right, but you know enough to take it the rest of the way. And it was just a really simple pattern or something that you just couldn't see because you were almost looking too hard. The key to getting useful answers from ChatGPT is considering the data source it is pulling from when you're asking the question. Now, I don't think it actually works like that, but if you treat it like that, I've found I've gotten better answers. And this is actually a test we can do live. So let's just ask a generic question like, how do I make a good 2D platformer game? So if I type that into ChatGPT and ask it, it gave me um, seven steps, but they're really generic steps and not that helpful. For instance, step number five is program your game. (laughs) That's like one level deeper than just saying step one, make a game. But yeah, I think this is an example of considering what I said before. It helps to think about where it might be pulling from where it learned this information from. And a question like, how do I make a good 2D platformer is probably like a really generic Google search where the top results are those generic seven steps, uh, how to make a game articles. Let's change the question to get ChatGPT in the right headspace, or at least maybe pulling from a more educated part of its brain. So to do that, I asked a much more in-depth question. I asked, what are three things that Super Mario Bros. 3... Super Meat Boy and Celeste have in common that contribute to their success as 2D platforming games? As you can see, this is a much more in-depth question. And where would I expect to see something this in-depth answered? Well, this is a little bit deeper than the Google search results. I expect to see this information in a game design analysis or maybe a video essay on YouTube. Just looking at the question, we can say that the info that comes from this is probably going to be from some sort of deeper knowledge source, either making or playing these types of games. And the answer that ChatGPT gave us is something I think you probably could conclude if you like these kinds of games or maybe thought about them critically for a little bit, but I think this stuff could be easily overlooked. And it's a good gut check if maybe you have made a 2D platformer game design document and you thought, oh, Uh, Let me look at the great 2D platformer games and see what all those have in common and see if my game has anything like it. So yeah, the answer that ChatGPT gave us this time broke it down into three things that Super Mario Bros. 3, Super Meat Boy, and Celeste all have in common that ChatGPT thinks contributed to their success. The three things ChatGPT thinks is tight controls, challenging but fair difficulty, and memorable and well-designed levels. ChatGPT goes on to break down each of those points uh, with like three to five sentences about each thing. Now like I said, this is something that if you thought about it critically and you knew about these games, you probably could come up with yourself. But it's still super impressive that it kind of narrowed the view down and this could really help someone, especially maybe if you weren't familiar with 2D platforming games. Like I said, this is just barely deeper than the surface knowledge, but sometimes that's enough. So yeah, when asking ChatGPT questions, just remember to be specific and consider the possible source of the information. Okay, the next super useful thing I use ChatGPT for is code. And if you've ever seen one of my streams on twitch.tv slash uh, underscore, I'm back to streaming, by the way, 6.30 uh, p.m. Eastern on Tuesday and Thursday nights. But yeah, if you've ever seen me do code during that, you'll know that I am a painfully okay coder. Like I can do enough to get the game working, but I get stuck on errors for a long time or do things a little messy like 75% of the time. Well, ChatGPT has helped me decrease the time I get stuck and guide me so that I'm only messy like 40% of the time. Now remember that ChatGPT is not always right, and oftentimes it writes code that is only partially correct. But again, it can get me 80% of the way there, and I can continue to bounce off of it, ideas and error messages I'm getting from Unity, and it'll correct itself or correct any additions I've made. It's like you're collaborating with it to write the code. You can straight up copy and paste your code into ChatGPT and ask, is there any problems with this? And it'll fix it for you and tell you the mistake you made. This is a good way to unblock yourself from those easy mistakes that you might be looking over. Like I said, it's like asking a helpful friend who knows a little bit about everything. Okay, my last use case for ChatGPT has to do with narrative. For some people, they can just write really great dialogue, come up with interesting stories, and just in general have a great creative output when it comes to writing. But I often find myself getting stuck or blocked. It's just for some reason, I sometimes I feel like I just can't get the words out. And honestly, it probably has a lot to do with like practice or knowledge about narrative writing. But as a solo indie dev, I can't be an expert about anything. I'm not really even an expert about anything, I feel like. There's just so much to know about each topic, and each topic is just infinitely complex. But having ChatGPT, in this case, helps me with that Barely deeper than the surface knowledge because my knowledge on narrative writing is probably about the same. And when it comes to writing, uh, sometimes I just have ChatGPT get things started for me. And like we talked about, the more info you give it, the better. You can tell ChatGPT what the character is like, what your world is like. You could say, My world is one part Lord of the Rings mixed with one part SpongeBob. In fact, I'm curious, I'm curious what it would come up with in that case. Let me type that into ChatGPT. Okay, so I said, I have made a world for my video game that is one part Lord of the Rings mixed with one part SpongeBob. Can you write me an open world quest that the player has access to in the early game? ChatGPT says, Sure, here's an open world quest that mixes elements of Lord of the Rings and SpongeBob for the early game of your video game. Quest title, The Missing Krabby Patty Recipe. (laughs) Quest giver, Mr. Krabs. Quest description: The Krusty Krab has been serving Krabby Patties for generations, and the secret recipe has always been kept under lock and key. However, the recipe has gone missing, and Mr. Krabs believes that the culprit may be a mischievous hobbit who has been <laughs> spotted in the area. He needs your help to find the hobbit and retrieve the recipe before it falls into the wrong hands. And then it goes on to tell me about the quest details and the gameplay, and even the rewards. In fact, it says Mr. Krabs will give you a special item that enhances your ability to cook Krabby Patties, making them even more delicious and satisfying. So <laughs> yeah, maybe it took maybe it took the the SpongeBob and Lord of the Rings thing a little too seriously. I meant like the the vibe of those two things, not literally the characters. But yeah, you can see how maybe I would describe these things a little more generally by describing the tone. Uh, maybe some game mechanics, give it some game mechanics to work with, give it the names of characters and their personalities. I think think you can see how giving it stuff like that would give you a great starting point for coming up with a quest. I think it's the ultimate anti-writer's block technology. And I'm not saying that I think all of the narrative design in your game should be AI generated, I actually think that would be a mistake, because I still think when I'm reading there's a clear difference between Narrative that has heart and soul and a caring human behind it and like a plan and a design for a whole game rather than just AI-generated collage, I guess, of a story. But as a solo indie dev who's only okay at the writing kind of stuff in the first place, it can make results that are good enough and it can always be improved on once the AI has jump-started my thought process. Okay, now that we've talked about the text-generating tools, Let's move on to the image generating AI tools. So image generation AI is getting pretty good and in a place where it can be used to make some art assets. And notice I put the emphasis on the word some, because through practice and actually using it for games that I work on, I can tell you firsthand that it does not replace having good art skill. In other words, in most cases I don't think you can make any art style game you want and just have the AI make everything. I have seen people make entire games out of AI art but I get a sense that they're somewhat restricted to whatever style they could get the AI to make consistently. And I don't know, it's just pretty noticeable that it's AI art. One thing that is really noticeable and it cannot really get the style right yet so far but I think this will probably change in the future is pixel art. This is because pixel art requires perfectly spaced pixels. And if you've ever seen AI art, you'll know the problem right away here. When you look closely at AI art, it has a lot of little imperfections. Which when you view the piece as a whole, you might not notice. But when you look closely, you'll see a lot of stuff and just know that it doesn't look right. Because pixel art is made up of perfectly straight lined and sized pixels, it's very noticeable. It'll almost make like an abstract pixel art, which maybe could be a whole style in and of itself. So yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way at the top. I know a lot of people want pixel art for the game. AI currently can't do pixel art ready for your game. But I've got to imagine that someone out there is working on a tool for AI pixel art. Okay, so what are image generation tools good for right now, today? Let's start with making icons. Now, remember that one of the flaws of these image AIs is that they have lots of tiny imperfections. But if your icons are small, then these tiny imperfections are basically unnoticeable. This may seem like a small thing, but this makes a big difference in making a UI-heavy genre like strategy games. Before, I would say that a strategy game like a 4X with a lot of UI would be hard for a solo indie dev to make because of the work required for all of the UI or at least the money it would require to have someone make all the UI for you. But it's certainly much more doable now with the help of AI. I think you could generate an entire game's worth of icons uh, using nothing but free AI tools. Let's talk about another place where I think AI makes being a solo indie dev easier. Let's talk about illustrations. Illustrations are very useful in games, not necessarily as playable assets, but more of ambiance pieces. They can be used all over the place. Background art, title cards, art for random events, card art, UI context images, paintings to decorate a 3D space. I'm sure there's a really quick way to uh, use them as skyboxes or, you know, like giant pieces of art that are way off in the distance that make you think it's uh, like an actual horizon. There are all sorts of places you can use illustrations. And because they're easy to make with AI, I would recommend to start thinking about all the places you can use them in your games. It's just low-hanging fruit now at this point, and it can really up the visual polish of your game, I think. So long as you're able to make a consistent style or use them in a consistent way. The next place I want to talk about using AI art generation tools is concepting. This can be really good for creative concepting like world building or designing a character or props. But as some of you may know, one area where I really struggle is UI layout. Like I just don't have a very good eye for making a UI layout that looks good. But lucky for me, I can ask the AI to give me 5-10 to examples of a specific kind of game's UI that I'm trying to make uh, to help me out. And the AI can just send me a few examples of good UI layouts and I can just copy one of them. This is one of those things that I think has really unblocked me. It's such a good tool for covering a specific weakness of mine that when I first did it and really thought about it, I realized how empowering these tools are. There's no game dev out there who doesn't have any weaknesses, but with these tools, you can at least get specific ideas and examples to help cover your weaknesses. So yeah, this specific example for me, uh, this was the moment that really opened my eyes. The last way I want to talk about using AI art-generating tools is uh, one that I haven't fully explored yet, but that I see a lot of potential in, and that's texturing. Texturing 3D models is honestly kind of fun for me, Uh, But it can be really tedious and makes making your own 3D art kind of work intensive. Part of that is like, where do you get the textures to paint on your models? You either have to buy them from someplace or make them. And making them is a whole discipline in and of itself. But with AI, you can just type what you want. Let's say you were making a medieval character and you were ready to texture them. Before AI, you would have had to search the internet for a free texture or buy a texture or take a real life picture or draw like a medieval leather texture somehow but with ai now you can just say i need a medieval leather texture and boom like in one minute you can go through hundreds of them well maybe not hundreds but you can go through dozens of them and pick your favorite uh in one minute and it'll be free or so little in cost it's almost free I've even seen some experimental tools built directly into Blender that take it a step further. You can tell it what your model is and it'll texture it for you. I think that tool specifically that I saw was just for a tech demo, but yeah, if that gives you any indication of where things are going, making 3D games is about to get a little bit easier from a workload standpoint for indie devs. I think now is a good time to mention a couple of specific tools that I'm using. I'm mostly using two, and each of them kind of has pros and cons. One of them is MidJourney, and the other is Stable Diffusion. These are both um, image generating AI tools. I guess I'll just sum up the pros and cons. But keep in mind, this is one of those sections where this could be very different in even months. So yeah, these are the pros and cons as they stand right now, as I'm recording this. Right now, I think MidJourney has better results. But you have to weirdly use it in a public Discord with a bunch of other people are using it at the same time if you have the free version. So yeah, your results and everyone else's is in like the same Discord post or thread or whatever. And people are constantly using it. So it's just scrolling with like tons of pictures and you have to like find yours in the mess of a thing. I don't know why they decided to do it through Discord as a Discord bot. That just is a really weird choice and also I think one of the cons is the free version is limited um, in terms of the number of images you can make I think so you might want to consider the other option which I use which is called Stable Diffusion. Now, Stable Diffusion is totally free and I think it's open source I found that its results are not as good as Midjourneys and require a little more finicking with the prompts but like I said it's free and gives you all the same power that Midjourney does it's a little bit of a hassle to set up, but I foresee that being fixed easily in the future with a more user-friendly setup and interface. And yeah, the results aren't as good, but they're still pretty good. And it's all done like locally on your computer in an actual app or some kind of UI. I think you actually have to <laughs> get the UI from somewhere else, as there is no just one UI because it's open source. Now I mentioned that the prompt needed a little messing with in Stable Diffusion, and I think now might be a good time to mention some tips I've found for prompting. Now one of the hardest things about using AI for art is getting a consistent art style. It's the biggest blocker I think at the moment for making game ready assets for your games. Right now it is straight up a trial and error process, but similar to text AI tools, the more stuff you give it to work with, the better. There's a tool I like to use and I think it's specifically made for Stable Diffusion, but it's called Lexica.art. It's actually a website and it describes itself as a search engine for Stable Diffusion. But basically when I'm looking for a consistent style, I search for it on Lexica and figure out what kind of prompts are generating the kind of art style I'm looking for. And you'll find that there is certain keywords that seem to be really important for getting that specific style. But figuring out what those keywords are is sort of a trial and error process. That's why a search engine for these kinds of keywords attached to the images is super useful, because you can kind of make use of other people's trial and error. So yeah, I hope that helps. Uh, Lexica.art is pretty useful and hopefully reduces some of your time in that trial and error process. Okay, this has gone on pretty long, and maybe sometime down the line we'll have to do a part two, but let's stop here and recap. Today's episode was about using AI tools for game dev. Remember that some of this info may be outdated by the time you get around to hearing this, so just keep that in mind. We talked about two kinds of AI. Let's start with text generating AI. The best text tool right now is ChatGPT. Remember, ChatGPT may sound like it has perfect knowledge, but it doesn't. So keep that in mind when getting information from it. Remember to be specific in your questions and try to consider the source it's getting its information from when framing your question. It can also be good to use as a friend or a collaborator that helps you code. Sometimes you can just straight up give it your code and ask what's wrong with it, and it will work with you to help you fix it. Remember, it can also be maybe the best anti-writer's block technology ever made. For narrative, it can pretty much always get you at least 80% of the way there, or get the gears turning in your head, so that you can not have those blocks while coming up with narrative. So yeah, overall, I guess you can just treat it like an informed person that you can bounce ideas off of. Next, we talked about image generation tools. They're great for making things like concept art, icons, and illustrations. My personal favorites right now are Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion. Stable Diffusion is free and open source, And Midjourney is mostly free and has really good results. Remember, similar to the text generation tools, you want to be specific in your prompts. Give it as much information as you can. And to help guide those prompts stylistically, you might want to use something like lexica.art to find those certain keywords that seem to produce what you're going for. So yeah, I hope this episode is inspiration for you to start incorporating AI into your game dev toolkit. I don't think we've even scratched the surface of its capabilities for games, but I think if you start getting familiar with it today, you'll learn to use it effectively for your game dev projects, and ultimately, in the long run, I think you'll be able to do bigger projects, bigger ideas, and overall better games with the help of AI. So yeah, that's going to do it for me today. If you have thoughts on AI tools, and I'm sure that you do, (laughs) it seems like everyone does, uh, feel free to message me on our public Discord. Let's have a discussion about it. Or you can tweet me at underscore Zachavelli underscore. If you have a really cool way that you're using AI right now, you should go uh, submit that to the Game Dev Challenge for this episode. I'd love to see it. You can do that on our public Discord. There's a link to that in the show notes. Just uh, make that post under the Game Dev Challenge channel. With that, I think I'm going to end the episode. I have been Zacchavelli, or am I an AI Zacchavelli? Could you tell the difference?